0: The Onyx One Month DAPT program evaluated Resolute Onyx DES in about 1,700 complex high bleeding risk patients with one month DAPT. Visit Medtronic.com backslash Onyx One program to see the data. Resolute Onyx DES is not currently indicated for high bleeding risk patients on one month DAPT in the United States.
1: You're listening to Heart Sounds, TTTMD's award-winning podcast hosted by Shelley Wood.
0: Hello, I'm Shelley Wood, and this is the Heart Sounds Podcast, a roundup of some of the top stories on TCTMD in the past month. For the November edition, we're looking back at the AHA's virtual meeting, which took place over five days mid-month. I caught up with Donald Lloyd-Jones and Manesh Patel, the chair and vice chair of the Scientific Sessions Programming Committee for this year's Congress. I asked them to tell me what they thought the key takeaways were from this year's meeting. Let's jump right in. Thank you both for joining me on the Heart Sounds podcast. I know you're both probably exhausted from a very busy meeting. We're recording this the same week that AHA wrapped up, so I'd love, while it's still fresh in your mind, for you guys to tell me what some of the key takeaways were from AHA this year. I'll start with you, Don. What are you gonna take home back to your practice, back to your life?
1: You know, the first takeaway I think I I would say is actually that um, we can actually pull off a virtual meeting and do it successfully and do it in ways that allow people to interact with the science completely on their own terms. Um, you know, I, I found it was so easy to circle back to a session that I might have missed in other years, be selective about what I wanted to see in that session. Um, and and I'm still doing it. And, you know, happily, I can do it until January fourth. So, uh, so I think that's one take home. But, you know, specifically thinking about what we saw in the science this year, I think the first thing for me was precision heart failure therapy. You know, we've had beta okay. blockers, We've had ACE, ARNI on that axis, you know, RAS inhibition. Uh, we've had mineralocord cord receptor antagonists. SGLT2s have clearly muscled their way into the big four. Um, but now we've got new stuff. Uh, and at this, these meetings, we had galactic HF, Macarbal, a brand new drug that's a cardiac contractility enhancer for the first time showing reductions in heart failure hospitalization events and no increased signal in mortality. So, you know, there are patients that we need to to phenotype who probably could particularly benefit from this therapy. Addition of iron supplementation in patients who have iron deficiency, whether or not they're anemic, does seem also to reduce heart failure hospitalization. So making sure that we find those patients and treat them specifically with what they need. Um, And then some earlier things from this year, we can uh, really focus in on specific precision targeted therapies for heart failure patients. uh, And I think that's a really exciting advancement. I'd uh, love to hear your thoughts about adding to that and any other things that you saw.
2: Thanks, Don. I, I agree that I, I think that, uh, you know, the ability to go back and see sessions and the virtual nature of it is something that likely will last beyond this year and that we will likely get hopefully back to face-to-face meetings, but also on demand as I think that does make the meeting much more accessible. For me, it was certainly uh, exploration of atrial fibrillation. You know, we have so many patients asking us about the most common arrhythmia and heart disease, and there is A few studies that spoke to that. There's, in my mind, several screening studies that told us about some kind of consistent messages. If you go back to the sessions and you want to see them, there's M-STOPs, there's a vital study for atrial fibrillation, and then there's actually SEARCH-AF. And what I saw across those studies is that uh, I'll use the big outpatient one done in the Boston, 22 clinics in, in the Boston area where primary care physicians were looking to see thousands of patients. Can they identify atrial fibrillation with a single lead ECG when they come to see them versus usual care? And it was in the one percentile, 1. 1.6, 1. 1.2 percentile, not st- significantly different in picking up AFib. Although, importantly, in the patients over 85, there was a higher incidence in identification of atrial fibrillation, which might lead to anticoagulation and helping some of those patients. And then in the search AF study, where we took patients that had a bypass surgery and then usual care versus actually making them more monitor, and we identified 20% of those patients might have AFib compared to a smaller number. And they got anticoagulated a little bit more and seemed to have a little bit better outcome. So. I think the messages for me are from those three studies is screening depends on how are you screening just a pulse check versus a single lead versus a monitor. And then who are you screening them in? Everyone, higher risk groups like 85 or post bypass and the higher risk patients you get, the more you screen, you do identify it. And that's going to be meaningful. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about early AF, which is the next in the series of randomized studies about taking patients with atrial fibrillation and being invasive and treating them. And it was compared to antiarrhythmics and, did show a difference. Uh, interestingly, a, a less AFib and, and start to see signals again towards better outcomes. But importantly, the complications were similar between the groups because antiarrhythmics aren't without their own complications. Now we've had several of these studies, and I know my EP colleagues are gonna be asking, when is it gonna be guideline you know, level one, Manesh? I think the data is starting to get there. Uh, we're gonna have to identify the populations that get that invasive one earlier. Don, I'll, I'll go back to you maybe talking about prevention and saying there was precision heart failure you told me about I got kind of confused in the middle of AHA. I thought I was supposed to use fish oils. Then I thought I'm not supposed to. Where are we at with that? We might have to think about AFib in these patients too.
1: So we had uh, two fish oil trials looking to prevent atherosclerotic events, strength and omami, slightly different populations, but both using combination DHA plus EPA fish oil pills. Both of them, no, both negative um, and uh, lots of controversy, lots of buzz. Why are these studies negative when Reduce It was so positive two years ago? And I think uh, we really need to understand a little bit more about this. Breaking it down, strengthen and Omami compared combination DHA EPA versus a corn oil placebo. That's important to know because corn oil is neutral. It does not raise LDL cholesterol, it does not increase inflammatory biomarkers. In Reduce It, there's a high dose EPA formulation, four grams a day, pure EPA. And compared with a mineral oil placebo control, where the LDL did go up and the inflammatory markers did go up. So did the high-dose EPA, eicosapent ethyl, in reduce it? look so good because the placebo was actually potentially harming people? Maybe. Um, probably only part of it, if, if it was really true. Um, is there something about high-dose icosapent ethyl that's different and special compared with moderate dose DHA EPA combos, maybe. There's some good biological and mechanistic evidence to suggest that that's the case. I think we're a little bit stuck to say, you know, is there really something special about that compound? I think we need another trial uh, comparing icosapent with a corn oil neutral placebo, and it'd be great to have an arm in there that's a DHA EPA combo just so we can sort all of these questions out at one time. Don't know if that trial yeah. will happen, but it would be great. To get back to the point about atrial fibrillation now, in multiple studies with fish oil, we are seeing an increased risk of atrial fibrillation in these patients who are randomized to fish oil. We saw it in, um, in strength. We saw it in Omémi. We certainly saw it and reduced it. In strength, interestingly, uh, 70% increased risk for atrial fibrillation diagnosis in the patients getting the fish oil combo. So that's a trade-off we might not be really happy about. Um, so, so more to say there. Last thing I'll focus on is the first large international outcomes trial using a polypill. And that one showed us significant reductions with polypill versus placebo. When you added aspirin on top of the polypill, even further reduction, a 31% relative risk reduction um, in a polypill that contained a beta blocker, uh, an ACE inhibitor, a thiazide diuretic, and a statin. Tips three, just to give the name of that one. Thanks. Exactly. Tips three. So the question is, Are polypills here to stay? I think, yes, we now have a a really nice, I think, viable way to think about more broad-based prevention. I think it's particularly useful for lower resource settings, whether that's low and middle income countries or low resource areas, even within high income countries like the U.S. I think there's some real opportunity there. I think though the aspirin part of it, uh, which was part of that study as well, probably more selective and and individualized decision making about that one. So I wouldn't just automatically put aspirin into a polypill of the future.
0: Yeah, I'd love to bring up another one because it's kind of the opposite of the broad um, approach that you're talking about with the polypill because in that same session was the harp Minoca trial. And that one, at least for an interventional audience, it was one that, you know, a lot of clicks on our website, but that's much more, targeting, you know, how do we really narrow down the person who needs something? I don't know, Manash, can you, any, any thoughts about harp Minoka?
2: Yeah, I think it's a great study. I'm glad the HA supported that study. And, you know, if you think about harp Minoka, it's something many of us have been seeing in the cath lab for some time. Uh, people that have a heart attack that have at least what seems to be clean or non-obstructive coronary disease. You know, since the days of crusade, we've identified somewhere between 9 and 15% of people having a, a non-STEMI were having a non-obstructive coronary disease or even higher and overrepresentation of women. So harp Minoka, I, I guess I would say that that study did two things. It did an OCT and a cardiac MRI. And the take home was that 80% or so of those patients did have atherosclerosis, maybe in smaller vessels, things to treat, the others had myocarditis. So something to do for all of our patients uh, with this in our cath labs.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the threads that I think we saw was we always think about those big blockbuster studies, 8,000, 12,000, 30,000 patients, right? But there were some really well-designed, small trials and studies here. parker one of them, but Samson.
0: Samson, yeah, exactly.
1: So well done, so on point, right? And the other one that, that I think about is Rhapsody, that study of recurrent pericarditis patients, right? Where everybody gets the drug, everybody responded nicely, and then the randomization is withdrawing you from the drug to see who relapses, right? really important study, tough problem clinically, and yet able to address it with a small, small trial. And I think there's a message there for people to take home, which is you don't have to do a 30,000 person trial if you design it in an intelligent way.
0: Yeah, that might be really important too. I'm thinking yeah, there's great science at this year's meeting, but meeting next year, I mean, are they going to suffer from the lack of trials given the impact of COVID on clinical research? I I'm kind of anticipating that there won't be some big blockbusters for a couple of years.
2: I don't know. I, I know of some things that are coming. ACC will have adaptable, which will be 20,000 patient aspirin pragmatic study. Uh, 325 versus 81 doesn't sound sexy, but it will be important. And then uh, there's a couple of big ones, but we'll see. We're always trying to get the big ones. I, I agree with Don. If you, These are, I think, going to be messages, but what happens next year will be unknown to us. I do think We'll find out how much of the world hopefully gets better with COVID and that might affect randomization and studies.
0: We started by talking about, you know, this is AHA's first virtual meeting. There's likely to be more. I'd love your thoughts on what are the, obviously you miss the in-person interaction, which we all love, but I really noticed in this AHA meeting that the quality of the discussion was different. And I have a theory. I'm wondering if because people aren't up on stage together, if they're able to speak a bit more candidly about some of the trials and things like that. Did you guys see that at all? Do you have any sense that there was a different kind of tenor of interaction? It, it wasn't that it was less collegial. It was just a little more candid, I found.
1: I think that's really true. I, I like your thought. I think that there, there is a little bit more of, of a comfort level when you're not uh, you know, all dressed up and sitting formally on a stage you know, with colleagues. But, but I think there's a little bit more to it, and, and I, I hope that's a credit to the design of those sessions. Uh, we put a lot of thought into it. One of the things we really put a premium on in the last few years is diversity, and that means diversity of thought. And so what does that mean? Well, it means not just hearing from people from Boston. I, I, I trained in Boston, love Boston, but sometimes we get a little too fixated on you know the super experts, right? There's more to learn than just from those people. So we need people at all stages of careers. We put a real premium on getting junior and mid-career folks on those stages, giving their opinions and their perspectives because they've got really great ideas about how we interpret the data. Certainly, diversity of thought with regard to race-ethnic background. This year, as last year, no mantles, right? It's really noticeable.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, we can't only have men on the stage. Um, uh, We really need to have that diversity of thought. So I, I hope and I think that that also contributed to the the more rich discussions that you saw this year.
2: Yeah, I think Don put it well. I, I think that it's somewhere between the comfort level of being, feeling like you can be as honest as possible. Maybe that's being not in the same stage sometimes. The second is encouraging people. Uh, and, and the key I think about when people talk about diversity of thought is if if I surround myself with everyone who thinks like me and the truth is in the middle, I'm always going to be on this side of the truth. All I need is somebody on the other side of the with spectrum with a diversity of thought to pull me closer towards truth we all know even though these are scientific sessions with studies presented with findings they have to be put into context and you need different sort of perspectives so I would suggest that's one of the other big lessons I've learned over the last several years in our AHA scientific sessions is that getting people from different perspectives hopefully helps us get closer to truth
0: Gosh, isn't that true in life as in science? Because certainly having more perspectives and being able to move your fixed opinion would sure be nice in the world these days. That's so true. I could keep you guys on the line for a long time, asking more and more from you. But I really appreciate the time you've taken to to highlight some things for us. I was stuck at my desk, all AHA glued to the screen, but in a really weird way, I enjoyed it. <laughs> so thank you.
2: You appreciate thanks it. Thanks for this today. Great to be with you, Shelley. Thanks, great work.
0: Take care. You can find all of our coverage of AHA on TCTMD's conference page, including all of the trials that Don and Manesh touched on here. We ran out of time on the podcast, but we had planned on also talking about the AHA's presidential advisory, calling out structural racism as a driver of cardiovascular disease, which also had a dedicated session at this year's meeting. There was also an entire set of late breakers devoted to COVID-19 science, including analyses from the AHA's own COVID-19 CVD registry. Again, you can find our in-depth coverage of all of these topics on TCTMD. And I know I've plugged it in the past but I also need to give a shout out to our COVID-19 Daily Dispatch, where every weekday we're summarizing the top research and policy news in this space. Of course, AHA wasn't the only big news in November. And if you, like me, spent too many late nights this past month scrolling news websites with an eye to one of the strangest U.S. presidential transitions, certainly in my lifetime, you may want to check out a feature story by Todd Neal exploring what the Biden-Harris win might mean for cardiology. The last thing I'll mention is news we heard the same day I spoke with Manesh and Don. That was that British cardiologist Tony Gershlick had died from COVID-19. I can see that this news has hit the cardiology community very hard. I've personally interviewed Dr. Gershlick many, many times over the years and always appreciated his willingness to pick up the phone when I called or stop and say hello when I bumped into him at meetings. He was always willing to provide some thoughtful perspective on whatever topic I pitched him. We ran an obituary on TCTMD that I hope does justice to a man who will be much missed by his peers and our condolences go out to his friends and family. Thanks, as usual, to the TCTMD journalists for their hard work, day in, day out. And to our producer, Daniel Parker. This is Daniel's last stint in the producer's chair for the Heart Sounds podcast. We're going to miss you so much, Daniel. All our very best in your next venture. That's it for the November Heart Sounds. Thanks for listening.
1: love listening to heart sounds check out all new original content from tctmd featuring talking points with dr c michael gibson and Roxart radio with dr roxanne and moran all new episodes are available on itunes google play spotify and soundcloud